verses 38 through 47. Allow me to begin reading in verse number 38, and I will read the succeeding even numbered verses. Would you read with me, please, beginning in verse number 39, along with the succeeding odd numbered verses through the end of the chapter. And as always, in respect to the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to stand once again, I invite you to stand. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 47, and reading responsively. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. In the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted to them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, Spirit of God, I pray that you take your words this morning. Remind us that we are in the house of God this morning. Remind us, Lord, how important the house of God is to every believer and to every family that's represented in this room. Speak to our hearts this morning, I pray. Speak to every family member. We'll be sure to praise you for what you're going to do in our midst. We ask these things in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. It's the beginning of a new series, and before we announce our series of messages for the next 12 weeks, this is also Back to Bethel Sunday, something we've done for the last 20 plus years now. I don't know, maybe 25 years, I suppose, but we've always designated the last Sunday of, or the Sunday following the Labor Day weekend as Back to Bethel or Back to the House of God Sunday. And I'm glad that you decided to consecrate yourself by being in the house of the Lord on this Lord's Day. And we're beginning a series of messages, of course, and the subject of the me and my, not perfect family, but me and my real family. And uh, there's not a single person in this room that has a perfect family, as we all have a flawed, we're all flawed individuals, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we're flawed in our families as well. And we could just maybe just throw up our hands and say, oh, well, that's the way it is. Or we could say that there's a great God in heaven that's able to take uh, broken vessels and broken families and mend them. And uh, I want, want you to consider this morning that it's really noteworthy that among the family biographies in the Bible that you find that dysfunctional is the, not the exception but the rule or the norm. We think of Adam and Eve, they messed up paradise. We know who their father was. 
We see their first son murdered their second son. We go to Genesis 9. We don't have to go far in the Bible and we read about Noah. No easy way to say this. He got drunk and his son saw his nakedness and there's a curse that follows in Genesis 9. Abraham, the friend of God he's called and the patriarch, of course, he, he lied twice about his own wife being his sister and had two other men uh, walk off with her. Uh, he, he could have... Uh, he, he, had a child by a wife's, his wife's uh, handmaid named Hagar, and we know the rest of that story as well, most of us. Job, a contemporary of Abraham, he is the epitome of faith, yet married to a woman who told him to curse God and die. Fellas, how would you like to be married to a wife that says that to you? Jo- Jacob, uh, we're preaching a message entitled uh, Jacob's uh, Dirty Dozen, here, Lord willing, in a couple, three weeks from now, but Jacob, the contemporary, or rather the, the pathological deceiver, his name means deceiver. He married Rachel, a kleptomaniac. Reuben, Jacob's oldest son, slept with his father's mistress. Moses had a temper. His sister Miriam has a jealousy problem, and his brother Aaron was weak-willed, and two of his sons were killed for offering strange fire to the Lord. Samuel, a judge of Israel, put Arnold Schwarzenegger, or Samson, excuse me, put Arnold Schwarzenegger to shame but was weak around women. Eli, Eli the priest had two sons that extorted money from the people of God, in, even at the tabernacle. And Samuel, his young follower, went out, started off good, but his family was raised in like manner as Eli's. King David, do we need to say more about anything about David other than the fact that we, we know his, of his multiple wives, his, his, uh, his murder, or of course, his, uh, his adultery, and uh, his rape in his family, his incest in his family, sons of, uh, he had murderers in his family. This is a man after God's own heart. And then what could we say about Solomon, King Solomon with his thousand wives? And even the prophets, Hosea, married, uh, was commanded to marry a harlot, married Gomer by name. And of course, many of the other prophets could be mentioned about this, uh, mentioned as well with broken families. And so families in the Bible are, not the norm, and uh, rather the families in the Bible that are messed up are the norm rather than the exception. Now, have I made you encouraged yet this morning yet? Are you all just excited about this message this morning? There's a lot of things to be discouraged about when we look at families, and uh, we all have flawed families, but take hope we have a great God in heaven. And I want you to notice in Acts chapter 2, and this is again an introductory message, and we're going to go rapid fire, hang on to your seats, we're going to go really fast and give you 10 quick points here in regards to that your family needs Bethel or needs the house of God in, in your life. And your family needs it, you need it in your life. Everybody here needs it. And here in Acts chapter 2, some call this the birthday of the church, Pentecost, of course, where Peter stands up and preaches, and uh, along with 120 that are with him, of course, and he preaches, and 3,000 people come to know Christ as Savior. I know it's familiar territory to most of you in this room. And uh, it starts a new beginning of sorts. This, they come to Bethel, they come to the house of God. And um, I want to give you this morning here, and we're not going to take time to go back to Genesis 28, but we read about Bethel for the first time there in the city of Luz, it was called in Genesis 28. And Jacob, of course, meets God there as he's fleeing because of his connivery with his brother. Remember the stolen birthright and the stolen blessing, and most of you know the story. And he, he flees and he meets God. He's not looking for God, but God's looking for him. 
And that's, uh, the Bible says no man seeketh after God, but uh, God is uh, seeking after his children. He's seeking after us. He's the one that came from heaven to earth for our redemption. But I want to give you 10 things this morning. And again, rapid fire, this is really the, the body of the message, but I'm really going to do this very fast and introductory because I want to slow down at the end here and give you an 11th point. But I want to give you this morning here in regards to opening, the, laying the groundwork for your family and your family's need, it begins here at the house of God on Back to Bethel Sunday. And I want you to notice that the house of God, or in other words, the church, and I shouldn't have to say this, but I'll say it for those maybe uh, you're new to coming to church, this building is not the church. This building is just an assembly hall, it's all it is. Now we've set apart this building for the cause of Christ. And this is where God gets glorified and honored at one of the places, but the church is his people, is his the bride of Christ, of course. But I want you to know that this house of God, it's the place where, first of all, verse number 41, where you can meet the Lord. It's a place you came this morning, hopefully you came with a desire to meet the Lord. The Bible says in verse number 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day they read unto them about 3,000 souls. Church is a place where you can meet the Lord. I, for one, and many could give testimony this morning, I met the Lord at the house of God as an 11-year-old boy. I was invited to an old-fashioned revival meeting. I didn't even know what the word meant or what a revival meeting was. On a Friday night, the last night of the meeting, as a matter of fact, and I was invited to an old-fashioned preacher, a 75-year-old preacher or thereabouts, got up and preached an old-fashioned message on hell. And I realized I was lost, and I needed to receive Christ as my Savior and that day I met the Lord as my Savior. That day that preacher took me to his office, went back to the office, and, and uh, I prayed what's called the sinner's prayer. I not only prayed with my lips, but I meant it with my heart and asked Christ to come into my heart and save me. I was born again. I met the Lord that day. Later on, I was baptized and I was at the house of God. In fact, everything that I've ever done of great importance, I've done in the house of God. I was saved at the house of God. I was convicted at the house of God. I was baptized at the house of God. I was married in the house of God. My children were dedicated in the house of God. The greatest decisions I've ever made in my surrender to service was at the house of God. You need the house of God. Every family member in this church needs the house of God in your life, you, you, where, where you can meet the Lord. But secondly, I want you to notice that the house of God is the place where you receive blessings. Verse 41, they gladly received this word. They were baptized. Verse 46, it says, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. It's a place where we receive blessings. We touched on it last week. I'll just say it again just quickly here, but we sometimes talk about the Christian life being a tough life, a difficult life. But the Lord said, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light. My, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And Jesus is a, the place of, the house of God is a place of blessing. Oh, there's some sacrifice. We had to actually get up early and get dressed this morning and not didn't get to sleep in like the other folks to get that great advantage on their lonely day off that I've heard so many times. But no, it's a place of blessing, this place, this house of God. And who doesn't want to be blessed? There's a blessing coming to the house of God. But I want you to notice, thirdly, it's a place where you need the house of God in your life because it's a place where you realize his presence and his power. His presence and his power. Back to verse 36, it says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know it surely, Peter is preaching, 
that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday at work in the school place, Jesus Christ is a curse word. But here at church, Jesus Christ is a name that's to be reverenced above every name. It's a name that's, uh, that's to be honored and reverenced. And when they heard this, the Bible says, the next verse, verse 37, they were pricked in their heart and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? You know, I want to remind us all here just quickly here, but a young person, I want you to know that funerals are not something that you just go to when somebody dies, but it's something that they're going to have someday for you or some type of service because it is appointed that a man once to die, but after this, the judgment. We, we, the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It's a, it's a judgment to follow the moment that we die. We'll be in the presence of the Lord and either the great right throne judgment for the lost or the judgment seat of Christ for the saved. Either way, it's a fearful thing. And when we come to the house of God, we realize his presence and his power. But fourthly, coming to the house of God, coming to Bethel, is a place where we begin to learn to worship. We begin to learn to worship. Verse 42, again, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And they, they worship, they learned in verse number 47, praising God, there's worship again. And in favor with all the people. This worship. And I love the word, for, the Greek word for worship in our New Testament, found 50 times. It's the word proskuneo. It literally means, it's two Greek words, it means to lick or to lap like a dog. That's what the word worship means. And as that dog goes to his or her master, and licks, and the only way that he or that dog can show their love and affection to their master is by just lapping that master's hand or cheek, what have you. We come to the Lord and we learn to worship and we learn to adore because our life is in the master's hand. And, uh, and we learn to worship him when we come to the house of God. But then verse 37, latter part of the verse again, it says that they said, men and brethren, what shall we do when they heard that Jesus was both Lord and Christ? You know, the Bible says the wrath of God, that, 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 that uh, those that don't believe in Christ, that the wrath of God abideth on them already. Let me give you a translation so you understand what I'm, or an interpretation. In other words, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the wrath of God is impending upon you at any moment. That's sobering. But the house of God is where you run to in time of trouble. In my flesh, I admit and I confess that I, as a pastor, I get a little frustrated from time to time, and I shouldn't, and I, shame on me, I'm confessing my sin. But I find that many times, many hundreds of times, when people come to me for help, they've exhausted all their other means and avenues of help. And we're the last refuge. The doctors have been tried, the psychologists have been tried, the drugs have been tried, the booze have been tried, the friends have been tried, the money's all run, run out, and now it's finally time when they're at the end of the road, the family's forsaking them, now they come to the house of God. And it's, and I, in, my, my, in my, my flesh, I get negative about that. But thank God, you know, when I come to Christ faster than any time before in my life, is when I'm in trouble. He's a good God, and he... he He's like the father of the prodigal son there in Luke chapter 15. We run to him in time of trouble. We come to the house of God when we're in time of trouble. Christian, a church is not the place for a museum for perfect, well-toned, well well-maintained well Christians, but it's a place for people to come where they have problems. It's a hospital more than a museum for sure. 
We come to ask help of the Lord and we humble ourselves. And so it's a place we run to in time of trouble. But fifthly, it's where we come to get a new start. It's not by accident Sunday's the first day of the week. I don't know what your week was last week, and maybe it was, maybe it was successful, maybe it was, it was you want a, week, a week that you want to forget about, I don't know. But today's a new day. This, this is Sunday's a new start. And this is back to Bethel Sunday, back to the house of God Sunday. I've said it for years, I've said it hundreds of times in my flesh, I get almost nauseated saying it, but in my spirit I say, no, it needs to be said over and over and over again. The house of God is a place where we start and start afresh and anew and consecrate yourself today. You can start today and say, I'm going to be in God's house every time the doors are open on a Sunday morning, for example, whether I'm here or on business trip in wherever, fill in the blank, Pennsylvania or where have you, or uh, go visit relatives, get to the house of God. And all God's people said, Amen. thank you for that. It's a place where we get a new start. They got a new start. They said in verse number 48, uh, 38, uh, Peter, when they asked the question, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. So it's a place of a new start. Number six, or number seven it is, I guess. It's, uh, you need Bethel in your life because it's a place where, uh, of fellowship, new and renewed fellowship. Fellowship, by the way, that's a Christian word. That's a word that, you know, you don't go over to your you know, next door neighbor and say, say to him, uh, hey, let's have some fellowship tonight. He doesn't understand that language. You know, hey, let's, let's go out and have a, you know, some booze tonight or let's have some party or let's, let's, let's watch a ball game tonight or something. You don't have fellowship. It's a, it's a Christian thing. And this fellowship, this camaraderie they had was something that was, to 3,000 of them, it was brand new. And the Bible says in verse number 44 to 46, we won't read all the verses, but just glance at them if you would please for a moment. They, they that believed were together and had all things common. Uh, you know, we had eight, I don't know, some of you guys don't like to sign up. We had eight guys sign up to help uh, do paving yesterday, but we had 18 guys show up. Had more guys show up than signed up. But uh, why did they come? Because the pay was great? No, I don't think so. The pay wasn't there. There was no pay. They told somebody, well, we pay a nickel an hour around here. And uh, they, were, they said, that's more I'm making. So I guess they were happy with that. But anyhow, the fact of the matter is, no, we come because there's a common ground. There's, there's common fellowship. They sold their possessions and goods, verse 45, in part to every man as every man had need. I always say the Bible doesn't teach communism, it teaches community. But then verse number 46, it says, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, or in breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. It's a place of fellowship, new and renewed fellowship. Are you having fellowship with the saints of God, with the person of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. One way that we have that fellowship, we have that fellowship by coming to his house and meeting God at the house of Bethel. Then number eight, it's, we need the house of Bethel in our life because it's a place of strength and divine protection. The Bible says again, they, had, they praised God and had favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. It's a place of protection. I don't say this for sensationalism. I say this for fact after pastoring for 33 years. I can tell you, but I can't tell you who. I can tell you, I know I've had funerals, numbers of them, hundreds of them actually. I know I've had a handful of funerals that I believe with all my heart and every fiber of my being, I had funerals for people that wouldn't have had a funeral if they'd been in the house of God. Literally, literally in the house of God. But they chose to get out of the house of God 
and it ended in their death and their demise. Don't ask me after the service. I'm not going to give you a for instance. I can't do that. But I know in my heart. Because there's a place of divine protection for those that walk with God. We read in 1 John 5 about a sin unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that you should pray for it. But the house of God is a place of divine protection. Number nine. You need Bethel in, the life, in your life because it is, now follow this one. It is to fall in love with the God of the house of God. Now in Genesis 35, you need not turn there, but for time's sake. 20 years after the fact, Jacob the first time met God at Bethel. He called it the house of God. But the second time he met him, 20 years later at the same spot, and he called it El Bethel. That is El God, El Bethel, the God of the house of God. The poem writer said this way, first it was a blessing, now it is the Lord. You see, the first nine or so that I've just talked about, first eight, are blessings that happen to us if we come to the house of God. There's good things that happen to faithful people, to the people that go to church, to the house of God. There's protection. There's blessings. There's the entrance of uh, his presence and his power. There's avoidance and a place to refuge, run from trouble, and on and on we could go. It's a new start. All things that help, help us. But this ninth reason why we come to Bethel is because we get to the point where we love God because of who he is, not for what he does. What if God doesn't bless you anymore to, from this day forward on this earth? What if you go in tomorrow to work and you get your pink slip? What if tomorrow you go, or this week you go and you go to the doctors and you find out you have cancer? If, if you just Bethel, come to Bethel to be blessed... You'll probably drop out of Bethel. But if you come because you're coming for the God of Bethel, you'll keep coming. Amen. The Lord gave, the Job said, Lord, I've taken it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Leads me to my tenth point. And that is, why do we come to the house of God? To receive help for your family. And no doubt with these 3,000 people that got saved, that there were some families that got saved and they were sojourners from far off. And they came, and many of them stayed in Jerusalem we could conjecture from there a lot if we wanted to. But it leads me to, in the moments that we have left, I highlighted on purpose this 11th point, if you will. Why you need Bethel in the house of God. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 8 here for the last few minutes that we have together. And I apologize one last time for doing this brutally quick this morning, an introductory message, but a lot of material here that we could to dissect this message in three messages for sure. But in Acts chapter 8, I want you to notice we come to the house of God, we come to Bethel because it's the place where a family, it's a family for those without a family. I said the house of God is a family for those without a family. There are millions, yes, tens of millions, yes, hundreds of millions of people, and Lord only knows how many people that have no real structural biological family. I'm talking to some people this morning that you say, preacher, that's kind of my case. My mother and father are gone. I never knew my mother and father. Or I never had, a ch- I never had, I never had uh, siblings. Maybe I'm talking to single people. And it's all right, it's all right to be single. 
And we're starting a whole series of messages on purpose on the family. And you say, well, wait a minute, preacher, this doesn't pertain to me. I don't have a family. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And in the moments that we have, I just want to synopsize, if I could, the man without a child. I'm referring to this Ethiopian eunuch, and I know you veterans are familiar with the story, but Acts chapter 8, there's an evangelist by the name of Philip, and I'm going to hurry through this story. And I want you to notice that he's having a great revival in a place called Samaria. But the Holy Spirit of God comes to him in Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. He says, I want you to go, and I want you to leave this great revival that you're having, and I want you to go to the desert. I was near Gaza. I wasn't in Gaza. Can't go there without... uh, occupied territories, most of you know, but when I went to Israel, we got close. And it's desert land. And this is where God said to Philip, I said, I want you to go there. And I want you to know that God wanted Philip to go to this desert place because there was a man there that was handpicked by the Lord. And he was handpicked. God had, in fact, in verse 29 it is, then the Spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to, his, to this chariot where this Ethiopian eunuch was riding in. And so I want you to notice he was handpicked, this Ethiopian eunuch. And remember, let me tell you the story. He comes from Ethiopia, several hundred mile journey up through Egypt, up through Gaza Strip, up through, of course, what we know of, to Israel. And he was, went, went to the great, one of the great feasts of Jerusalem. He went there because he was a searcher in the, the God of the children of Israel. But he wasn't an Israelite. He was an Ethiopian of great authority, the Bible says. The Bible says he was a eunuch. This man, though, I want you to notice he was handpicked. Think about it for just a moment, and I pause. Re- Philip's having a great revival. We don't know how many, maybe I believe hundreds of people were coming to Christ as Savior. And God says, his spirit says to Philip, he says, I want you to leave all. And I want you to go someplace to a non-Jew, to a non-Israelite. I want you to go to a man that's despised by many people. I got somebody for you that I've chosen, handpicked. I don't want to get too deep with you and sensational with you. But if you're a child of God, God's been good to you. God reached down and plucked you out of the burning fire furnace. He picked you out. He, he chose you and saved you. That's not Calvinism, by the way. That's just Bible 101. It's Lord, Lord chose this man. This man was uh, in a search mode, but God, uh, God came and brought him forth. He was handpicked. But then I want you to notice, secondly, sec- something else about this man without a child. He was a eunuch. He was handicapped. Now, there's no easy way to, some of you know what a eunuch is. There were eunuchs, made, made eunuchs, and there were eunuchs, eunuchs by choice. I don't know how else to say it, but in this case, he was emasculated. If I could be even more bluntler, blunt, put it more bluntly, he was feminized. He lost his pardon the slang, he lost his manhood. He was never able to have children after this. Never obviously got married. And it's hard for us to comprehend, but this was very, very real. There were, there were a number of, a good percentage of these eunuchs in ancient days, throughout, and many were made eunuchs against their will. 
for the king's sake. For, and we see this is probably the case here. The Greek satirist Lucian voiced the uncommon, or rather the unkind common opinion of most eunuchs, and that and it translated, it was translated in our English language as freaks. Josephus, the great historian, called them monstrosities. This is a man that's laughed at behind the scenes. This is a man that's had his manliness taken away from him. And people made fun of him behind his back. Oh, he was a powerful man, verse 27. He was the treasurer there, and, and, and he could be trusted. And he was of the Candace the Queen. But he was handicapped. And most theologians, and I agree with this, having been to Israel now, ladies, I'm telling you the way it really is. There's places for men, and then there's places for ladies. And it's two different worlds, I'm telling you right now. And even in Bible days in Judaism, there you had the inner court, where the, the temple itself, which only the priest could go in, the high, Holy of Holies, the high priest. And then outside of that was the men's uh, temple. And then outside that was the outer gate where the women could go. And if you weren't a Jew, you couldn't even get in the door. I want you to know that this man went several hundred miles to, in search of Jehovah God. And he wasn't allowed in the temple yard. He wasn't allowed in the, with the women's court. He wasn't allowed in the men's court. He certainly wasn't allowed in the temple itself or could never get to the hall. And all he could do would be like you coming to church and having to wait outside the door of usher meeting you and say you can't come in. You're unclean according to Old Testament law. This was his case. And on the way out, he just stood there and if we could bring it up to 2018 vernacular. On the way out, he's asking somebody, could you give me a bulletin? Could I see what happened? Could you tell me the songs that were sung? Could you tell me the message that was given? This was the handicap of this man that could not go into the temple. And then I want you to notice so verses 28 to 30, and there's so much more we could say about this. But this man without a child, he was handpicked. He had a great handicap. But I want you to notice verse 28 to 30, he was an honest seeker. And I think he's probably spent a whole lot of money to get a handwritten copy of the scroll of Isaiah. And he reads for time's sake, he reads from Isaiah chapter 53. And in verses 28 through 30, he doesn't understand what he's reading. But he, and he humbly asks for an explanation of the text. And we see that he, had, he was of a humble spirit, verses 31 to 35. And in verse 30, Philip finishes and he actually joins himself to the chariot. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian said, how can I except some man should guide me? Thank God that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know what I'm trying to do this morning in the best way I know how? I'm trying to explain to you the word of God as it's given to us. And then Philip joins himself to the chariot and he begins to explain Isaiah 53 to this Ethiopian eunuch, this, this honest seeker, this man of a humble spirit. And we get to verse 35 and he says, then Philip, after he reads from Isaiah 53, the great messianic prophecy chapter written 740 years before Christ came to the earth. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached in him Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of London a hundred plus years ago, said, gentlemen, speaking to preachers, find your text and make a beeline to Jesus. 
I'm telling you about Jesus this morning is what I'm telling you about. Spent uh, 28 minutes now, or thereabouts. I'm telling you about Jesus, about the need to receive him as Savior. I'm telling you from the scriptures. But we get to verse number 36. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Why don't we baptize babies, by the way? Well, babies can believe with all their heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I guess I'd baptize a baby. But until they can believe that and receive Jesus as Savior, and he, he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. That doesn't sound like sprinkling to me. We see this, this heart of repentance. Peter said, Paul said to, excuse me, Philip said to him, he said, he preached unto him Jesus, and he said, if you believe with all your heart, you can be baptized. He said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, I just have to interject this so there's no misunderstanding. Many churches teach that baptism is a part of salvation. I do not believe that for one second. Don't forget you're listening to a Baptist preacher. Baptism does not save anybody. There's no water, no holy water in this tank back here. It cannot save anybody. It's a, it's a step of obedience. After identifying in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that he died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose again, and we're unashamedly standing with Jesus Christ. It's a public profession of an inward possession. So we see this heart of repentance, but that leads me to, before we get to the last verse, I want you to look at one, I want you to go to Isaiah just quickly. Isaiah 56, not 53, but 56. Isaiah 56, hang with me, get to the punchline here. I can't help but think that as this man with no child, no possibility of ever having a family himself, as he heard from this man of God, this, this man Philip, and he, as he expounded to him the scriptures, Isaiah 53, and he saw his need to receive Jesus as his Messiah, his Savior, and he was baptized in his name. The Bible says, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but the Spirit caught away Philip where he saw, the eunuch saw him no more. I can't help but think thereafter that the eunuch began to keep on reading and he got to eventually, maybe minutes later, maybe an hour later, maybe a day later, I don't know, but he got to Isaiah 56. And he read in verse number three, the mocked, handicapped man all his life that he was, the man that would never be able to have a family, a man that would never know what it's like to have children or grandchildren. And he read these verses, Isaiah 56, verse 3. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. He had just come from Jerusalem. He wasn't even allowed in the temple. He wasn't a Jew, never would be a Jew. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs. I think his heart took a skip and a beat when he read these words. 
that keep my Sabbaths and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant, even unto them, verse 5, will I give in mine house and within my walls of place and a name better than of sons and of daughters, better than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. I think this eunuch, going back to our worksheet here in verse number 39, the Bible says, and when the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and he went on his way, the Bible says that that's the eunuch, he went on his way rejoicing. And he gained a happy and a new life. I'll, I'll apologize to Jim Jones, not the Jim Jones from 25 years ago, but the Jim Jones from six months ago, my dear longtime friend for 25 years. If, when I get to heaven, if he... So upset that I used him in an illustration, but I know Jim Jones. He'd be very happy that I used his name this morning in an illustration. But Jim was at Yukon Medical, up on whatever floor that is where people are dying, uh, about six months ago. He said, I don't know Jim Jones. Well, let me tell you, Jim Jones put all the locks on our doors. He was a locksmith. Uh, Jim Jones, let me, I heard Spiros Ziriati, Zodiati, some of you might know that name, very famous Greek scholar. Met him at Word of Life 20-something years ago. Thanks to Jim Jones, he paid for my way to go. Jim Jones, I walked in, it was a Thursday. I told the story, I walked into his last day of his life and he knew it. I walked in, there were several other people in the room right there. He was more coherent and more, uh, made more sense than I've made in the last half hour. He was totally coherent, totally had his wits about him. And we talked, and he was laughing and joking and, and talking about how good it is to be saved. He had several distant relatives. He had, he was, Jim was never married. Obviously never had children. Never had grandchildren. Had one, he wouldn't mind me saying this, I think one wayward brother, but his brother's son and daughter-in-law were there. And another distant relative was there, a cousin from, I think it was. And a couple other people were there, and a couple people from the church, there seven or eight, or eight of us in the room. And Jim and I started talking about the goodness of the Lord. He said, isn't God, isn't it wonderful to be saved? Isn't it wonderful to be a part of God's family? Jim would come, by the way, he'd come for you old timers. He'd come, he'd sneak in on a revival meeting. He'd always be faithful to his church in New Britain. But when we'd have revival meetings, he'd drive over 40 miles over just to hear the word of God. He just loved being in the house of God. And he loved God's people. And we started talking about the goodness of the Lord. And he said, and he gave me lead-ins. He was on purpose. I know what he's really doing. He's witnessing to his unsaved relatives that needed to come to know Christ as Savior. He wanted to let them know that he was getting ready to meet the Lord. And he was excited about going home to be with Christ. And... Uh, so we got to witness in our conversation and uh, so forth. And it was just wonderful. And he says, uh, and it was time to leave. I said, well, let's have a word of prayer. And so I prayed knowing it was going to be the last time I saw him. And uh, so we prayed. I prayed. And uh, held out his arms. He had his oxygen tank on. And, and he said, give me a hug. And I went over and gave him a big hug. He hugged me. And he says, <laughs> Sorry. He said, I love you. He meant it. I know he did. He loved me, crazy guy. <laughs> but I love him too. Five hours later, he breathed his last breath, went home to heaven on Thursday night. 
but he was family of God. He, he knew the family of God. Never had a family in his life. Never had t- children. Never had kids. Maybe I'm talking to somebody here this morning. You can make application. Maybe you've had children. Maybe, you've had, maybe you have grandchildren. I don't know. Maybe you have siblings. Maybe your parents are alive, but you're estranged. In the weeks to come, we want to talk about mending some of these family issues that are so prevalent in our flawed families. But right now, it's an opportunity for you to say, hey, I might not have the family that I'd like to have or should have, and I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. My family's made mistakes, but you have a family of God. You've got a place to come called Bethel, the house of God. You've got a place where you can learn to love the God of the house of God. And you have a place where you have a family for those without a family. It's good to be a child of God. It's good to be his family. Stay in Bethel. You need it, and your family needs it in their life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth of your word. Lord, uh, they were praising God and having favor with all the people, and Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Good things happen to people that come into the family of God. Lord, I pray for Christians. Maybe there's some Christians this morning, members of this, this assembly that need to consecrate their lives, Lord, to, to be faithful in every Sunday of this, for the rest of the year in the house of God, either here or if they're away on business or vacation in the house of God somewhere else. Lord, have your will and way in our midst. I pray for those who need to receive Christ as Savior. Tomorrow, billions of times around the world, the, the name of Jesus Christ will be blasphemed. But Lord, today, this morning, in this house of God, it's honored. We love you. We lift your name on high. And Lord, we know that in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May we bow the knee now and then gladly bow the knee later. Lord, I pray for those who need to receive Christ as Savior this morning. Have your will in a way and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to sing that famous hymn.